going to be in Luke chapter 15. While you're turning there, I just want to mention something kind of as an announcement and a prayer request as well. You know, uh, right at the time that things began to shut down due to COVID, right back when it was, we were really under a scare kind of, you know, we didn't have services for a while. We also suspended our uh, Friday Night Hope uh, Bible study, our, our program, and um, so we've not, we've not uh, restarted that, but with an eye toward restarting that, I'm, I think this Friday evening at 7, we're going to have a Bible study. I'm going to lead a Bible study, and, and, and really it's for people who maybe were coming to the Hope program and haven't been, or maybe you know somebody who might be interested in coming. Or if you just want to come to it yourself, um, and that does, we're just going to meet and have a Bible study and talk about the, the goals, objectives, and vision for it and have prayer together that God would uh, get it started back up. And I know I really believe it's an area of great need, so pray with us about that if you would. And that would be Friday night at 7. We'll remind you about that on social media and stuff. But if you want to come, you'd be, be invited to come. And I want to mention some other things about the services in the future. But, but we're in Luke chapter 15. And this, this morning, uh, we looked at the fir- earlier part of Luke chapter 15, just kind of give you a review for, the, I mean, a review for those of you here and, a, and um, kind of a catch up with those who are in the other building or not able to be with us this morning. You know, where Jesus talked about the lost sheep, and a shepherd would leave the 99 and go out and find the one. He talked about the lost coin, that the woman would had 10 pieces of coin. She lost one. She swept her house. She didn't normally sweep her house, but she swept her house on this special occasion to find that. that that's not in the Bible, by the way. Um, and then, of course, the lost son, the man who had two, two sons, and one of them asked for his inheritance to go into the far country. And all of that was about... uh, an observation that Jesus made in the first part of Luke chapter 18 where the scribes and Pharisees were murmuring because Jesus ate with sinners. And so Jesus gives them these three pictures of how God looks at sinners and how he has compassion like a shepherd that goes after the one and like the woman who searched for that single coin and and like the father who lost his son and uh, whose son came back. And uh, he had compassion on his wayward son. So all this was about this morning, kind of bring you up to speed. And, if, and by the way, if you weren't here this morning, you might as well leave because the second one won't mess. No, I'm just kidding. You can get this. It's like you can get the second part and the first part. And you can catch it later. But uh, let's begin reading in Luke chapter 15 and verse 25. And this is where... Um, well, let's look at verse 24. Uh, the father is speaking, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. They being the father whose son had come back, the servants who were sharing in this celebration. But verse 25 says, now his elder son, and that's who will be the focus of our message tonight. His elder son was in the field when the celebration began. It said they began to be married in verse 24. 
He's in the field, and it says in verse 25, And as he came and drew nigh to the house. So he's not coming home for the celebration. He's coming home at the end of the day. He's tired. He's worked all day. And he's coming near the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And this is how he gets the news. Verse 27, And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was jubilant. Not exactly. He was angry, verse 28 says. The older son was angry and would not go in, refused to go in the house. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. I mean, you can see this. As the, father, the son, the older son's out in the yard. He hears the celebration. He says, what in the world is going on? The, the servant says, well, your brother's home. And your father's having a great celebration. Let's go in. And he would not go in. He stood out in the yard. So the father came out and began to plead with him, entreated him. Verse 29 says, and he answering said to his father... Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid. Now that's not talking about a child, it's talking about a little goat, sacrifice, right? (laughs) Thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, he says to his his father to the older son, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet, it was fit, it was proper. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, please help us tonight as we study your word. Open our eyes and our hearts. Lord, I know that we have responsibility to be attentive, to be alert, to be interested, but I also pray that you'd work in hearts tonight. Help us to not only See the facts and hear the information as it's laid out in the scripture. But help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to see ourselves. I pray that you would tonight. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to spend our time tonight looking at this older son. In many ways, very much unlike his younger brother. The older son did not leave the father's house. The older son did not squander his inheritance in the far country. Now, you'll notice this as I read this and as I preach from this text, that I can't help but make a connection between the father's house here being the father in this parable And that being symbolic with God's house, with the church, with the place we live and serve. I mean, this man left the father's house, 
which was a, a, a great mistake. But, but, but I see a, a parallel. I see an analogy. I see an illustration of, of how people, some people stay in the Father's house, some people leave the Father's house. And so I, you, you, that comes out in the message. But the good thing about the older son is he did not leave his Father's house. And the day that the, as we read this earlier, or, and emphasized, the day that the, the son returned home, nobody expected him home. The father didn't expect him to come home today. None of the servants did. The older son surely didn't. And he's out in the field, and he didn't even come in until the party is well underway. He learned about it, as we said, when he was coming back into the yard, and he hears all this noise, this revelry, this dancing, this music. So while the, to the credit of the older son, while the younger son is squandering the inheritance of his father in the far country, the older son is faithfully serving his father at home. And that brings something up to my mind that just needs to be said often, and that is, thankfully, everybody doesn't go to the far country. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't, aren't you glad that everybody does it? You know I mean, young person, the best testimony you can have, and, and some of you can have this testimony. The best testimony you can have is that you never tasted what the far country provides. Don't be fooled. And you are a fool if you think like this young, this old younger child, I'm going to go to the far country because that's what I really, I'm missing out on something. I'm missing out on getting high. I'm missing out on drinking. I'm missing out on the party. I've really missed out. I'm going to go out there and taste of that. And you know what? You can do that. But mark it down, especially if you're a Christian, you're going to regret it. And, and, and it's not just your mom and dad that's going to regret it. It's not people that care about you. You're going to regret it. Because you can never erase all those things from your mind. You, you, can, you know, you can try. You know, I stand before you having been saved now for uh, 45 years. And I have a 45-year track record of serving God and going to church and reading this Bible almost every single day of my life for 45 years, and yet there are things in my head I wish were not there. There are mistakes that I made and scars that I have and disappointments that I did that I wish I could erase those things. I said this the other night where I was preaching at another church. One of the great regrets in my life is that I didn't live for the Lord when I was a teenager. Because when I was like these guys' age, I was sitting in a church just like this and had a preacher that preached the Bible to me and my mother loved me and I would sing these songs and I, I carried my Bible. But when I got old enough, I decided I'm going to go out and see what the world is like. And if I could somehow redo that, I would do it in a heartbeat. Nobody ever went to the far country and was glad about it that really had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So don't be fooled about that. So the reality is, though, we, we know people who've gone to the far country. And those who've been faithful ought to be appreciated. Those who've stayed faithful to the Lord, again, it's a reality. The longer you serve, the more you're going to see people who decided, you know, maybe, maybe there's something out there worth having. It's unfortunate. It's not true. It's fake news, but it happens. But let's be thankful for those who've remained faithful. I'm glad for people that I've known that have been faithful to the Lord longer than I have, and that's a while. I thank God for them. As we look at this older brother, though, 
here's something we see. He had been faithful to serve his father, but even in the father's house, if I can make this analogy, even in the father's house, you're not exempt from temptation. Uh, This older son remained faithful, but he had some concerning behavior as we look at this text tonight. And you've already seen it. If you've read it before, you've read it tonight. He, he had some issues. Uh, he was disconnected. He was in the father's house, but he was disconnected with some things that we're going to talk about. And by the way, the same can be true in our lives. It's possible to be in church, serving the Lord, not out in the world, and still things not really be right. And I think this is evident. That's one of the reasons I love this story because it's evident in the older son. So I just want to, I want to look at some things in the scripture that I think are troubling disconnects that this older brother exhibited. And the first one is, and we're going to kind of bounce around in this passage, but the first one is, it seems to me that he, while he was living in the father's house, he took the life he had for granted. And let me show you where I get that. I'm going to reread these passages a number of times. But look in verse 29. And it says, He answering said to his father, This is the older son to dad. Lo, this many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, Here's the the thing I want to emphasize. Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Now, the older son at this moment is very discontent. The Bible says he's angry. I mean, he's not even hiding the way he feels. And yet the father says to him, don't you realize that you're always with me? And everything that I have is thine. This He was resentful that the younger son who had gone out into the world and made some foolish decisions, gets the red carpet treatment when he comes home. And he's upset about that. But he's overlooking something. What he's overlooking is the fact that he's been privileged for however long he's been gone, over these years, however long it's been, been he's been privileged to enjoy the, the life of the faithful son in the house of his father. I mean, by staying home, he... He enjoyed uninterrupted fellowship with his father, or at least he should have and could have. Everything the, the father said this, everything I have is thine. He took what was his, and he went out into the world, and he wasted it, but everything I have is yours. He was, I believe he was discontent and overlooking and really missing, taking for granted what he had. And by the way, the same thing can happen in our lives. That we take for granted what we enjoy every day, what we enjoy every week. We enjoy fellowship with God. We enjoy fellowship with the Father. We enjoy forgiveness of sin. We enjoy the indwelling Spirit of God. We enjoy the living Word of God. We enjoy the promise of heaven. We enjoy the privilege of serving the Lord. We're in a sound church. We have our, many of us have family members here. We have many friends in Christ. I mean, we have a lot to be thankful for. And yet here he is enjoying all that meant to be in the father's house and yet he was discontent. It's true. You know, if you stay stay faithful to God throughout your life, you're not going to have a homecoming party because you never have to come home. 
But what we routinely enjoy is far better. We ought to always be thankful for what we have. I mean, we have life and purpose and hope in Christ. He says, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. There is nothing that the far country has that can compare. And there's nothing that giving a, you know, it's true. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but it's so. You go out into the world, you live in the world, we'll pray for you, we'll weep for you, we'll, we'll beg you to get right. And if you ever do get right, we'll, we'll throw a party and we'll be happy you came back. It's true, we will. But it's better never to go out into the world. So the first thing we see is that this, this older son exhibited an attitude of discontentment. A second thing I notice about this older son is he, it's evident to me, he allowed his busyness, his service, his activity to overweigh or outweigh his relationships. Look, look with me if you would please in verse 25 where it says his elder son was in the field and so this, and came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and and dancing, and um, so he's, he's busy. He's busy serving. In verse 29, he says, his own testimony, these many years do I serve thee. So he's a worker. He's a devoted worker. He's a laborer. He, he's de- he is a, um, a good example on the family farm. But notice something that may seem sort of incidental, but notice in verse 27 um, when, the, when the servant said, thy, thy brother, notice that, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf. And then down in verse um, 30, notice what the older brother says. As soon as this thy son was come. In other words, he, he didn't have any. He should have said, my brother has come. Not your son is come. In other words, he's missing. He's not even looking at this younger brother like he's his brother anymore. He just calls him his father's son. And it's a picture to me of, of how he was busy and working, but somehow the, the, the connection and the relationship was not what it ought to be, which again, I think, is a common thing in the ministry, in the, our work, and what we're doing. You know, we're not just workers together, right? I mean, I look around this room and I see people that we serve with, people involved in ministries, people who preach or teach Sunday school classes or walk, work in the nursery or they help clean the building. And we are workers together. We're on the same team. We, we work together, but we're not just workers. We're family. And it's possible to be involved in ministry and see people as, yeah, that, they work, we work on this, they work on that, we work on this, but overlook the fact that we're really more than just workers. We're family members. This is, this is brought out many times in the Gospels or in, in the Epistles, I should say. And I'm not going to look, turn to them, but when Paul referred, twice Paul referred to a man by the name of Tychicus, which is not a well-known name in the New Testament, but this is what he called him. Think about these words. A brother and a faithful minister. 
He wasn't just a minister. He was also a brother. Paul spoke of Timothy this way. Our brother and minister of Christ and our fellow laborer. We, we do work together, but we're more than fellow servants. These, this older brother was working and serving and laboring for his father, but he, he didn't even, re, even relate to the fact that he was a family member of the brother that had come home. You know, I, I've seen something that I, we would have never anticipated uh, in church life during COVID, and this is it. And we've talked about it in other messages, but it, it just seems important to say to now. You know, a lot of us who are busy in ministry, maybe teaching Sunday school classes, we're not even having Sunday school right now yet, are going to the nursing home. We're not going to the nursing homes. Are going to jails and prisons, and we're not going. And it's not because we don't want to go. It's because the doors are closed. And, and sometimes when we're, and I, I've talked to other pastors about this same subject, when a person's life seems to be wrapped up in the work, if you can't do the work, you sort of lose your bearings. You lose your purpose. It's like, you know what I'm saying? And, and you may not be able to relate to that, but many people can. But I just want to remind you that even though we're not laboring, we're still family. That never changes. Our relationship never changes. Our lives and our identities. I, I thank God that I'm allowed to serve, but what if something happened when I could not serve? Our life and our identity is not in our action and our, our, and our ministries and our service. It's in who we are in Christ and the fact that we belong to each other. This older brother was busy, but his relationship with his family members was not right. A third thing I see in this older brother, and this was a big part of the message this morning, and that is he had a lack of compassion for someone who had been in a bad place. Matter of fact, it says in verse 28, it says he was angry. Imagine the older brother being angry because the younger brother came home and got right with the father. Imagine what that would be like. This is how I would explain it. This is how I would relate to it. I've got two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. And both of these brothers profess to be saved, though neither one of them are in church or serving the Lord. Imagine I get news that one of my brothers got right and got, went to church, got his life right, and started serving God. And my reaction was to get mad about it. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? And that's, why, that's how I parallel this. He was angry. He was angry. He didn't have compassion about it. I mean, the older son should have been rejoicing. That's the, and for those of you this morning, we emphasize that a lot. In each of these three different um, parts of this story that Jesus tells, we have a, a man who lost one of his hundred sheep and when he found it, he rejoiced. And, and the woman who found that one coin of the ten she had, and she had lost one, she rejoiced. And, and it says, and this says on either case, when in like manner in heaven, they're rejoicing in the presence of the angels because a sinner has come home. And here this older son should have been rejoicing. The father was rejoicing. The servants were rejoicing. They were making merry, yet the older son was angry about it. Sometimes 
It's possible, even in the Father's house, not to have the compassion for sinners that we ought to have. Sometimes we forget what it's like to be in bondage to sin. And we ought not to look at people who go into sin with bitterness or arrogance or pride, but with compassion. You say, well, they made foolish decisions. Who hasn't, right? So what about these, what are, there's a disconnect in this older brother. Yes, he was faithful. Yes, he stayed in the father's house, but there's this definite disconnect. He's allowing his busyness to be more important than his relationship. He has a lack of compassion for this struggling brother. Another thing I see, and that is this, he was very insensitive, especially to his father. And look in verse 30, it says, but as soon as this thy son, this is the older son talking to his dad. As soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. Now, the older brother, kind of put yourself in this place, if you could, this family setting. The older brother could not identify with the pain that his father was experiencing. He... he, um, Let me just let me just imagine. This is what I was thinking as I was reading this verse just now. Imagine you're the father. You've got you've got a big enough spread, enough land and livestock and property and crops that you've got you've got servants that work for you. I mean, this it's a pretty good deal. He's worked hard for it. Matter of fact, he's worked so hard and saved so much that he's got an inheritance for his only two sons. He's setting that aside. And imagine the pain of watching as you gave your, your life work into the hands of one of your sons, and he goes and squanders the whole thing, wastes it on riotous living, partying, revelry, and harlotry, squandered it on immoral women, Imagine how painful that would be as a dad. Now, if you're a dad, you can probably kind of relate to that, right? If you, I mean, even if you're not emotional, you would feel a lot of pain over that. But here this older brother just throws that in the face of his dad. Your son, your son goes out and wastes all of your inheritance squandering on this sinful lifestyle. That's not something the father wants to be reminded of. That's not something the father wants to think about. And yet, the older son wasn't even hesitant. Why? Because he, could, he had no idea the pain that this dad had gone through. And by the way, young person, if you go out and live in the world and dabble in the world and reject the training your mom and dad have given you, you have no idea the pain that your mom or dad are going to feel. I didn't, when I went out in the world, I didn't. I didn't know how much I'd hurt my mom. I didn't know what I was doing. You know why? Because we talked about this this morning. This was a very selfish young man. And so this older son, he had no idea the pain his dad was experiencing. And he couldn't understand the joy at him having. He could not relate to why he'd want to have a party to celebrate his homecoming. And I just want to say... See, it's possible that we can become insensitive to those who are closest to us. You know, as members of the same family, we ought to rejoice with those that rejoice. 
You know what? If, if something good happened to me, I'd be happy. But if something good happens to you, I want to be happy. And if something bad happens to you, I want to feel it. You know why? Because we're family. We're not insensitive to those things. So here's another disconnect in the, in the older son. Another issue that's so obvious in verse 29, I, I just want to mention it. And that is he, he felt unappreciated. He felt unnoticed. Look in verse 29. And he answering said to his father, Lord, these many years, Lord, lo, at this point, when we're reading our Bible, my wife would say, lo, because I, mis, I misspeak sometimes when I'm reading my Bible. Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Notice this. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with friends. Now what do you hear in that? He said, how come I never got a coming home party? How come he resents the fact that his father is celebrating? He felt unappreciated because he, the younger brother is getting all the attention. And by the way, as I said earlier, that's sometimes true in our world. You may, you may serve faithfully. I could call people's names here tonight that have been faithfully serving in this church for as long or nearly as long as I've been here. And you know what? Nobody ever gave them a party. The reality is the one lost sheep gets more attention than the 99. The reality is the one coin that's found gets more attention than the nine that are not lost. And we ought to express appreciation for faithful people. Sometimes I feel ashamed that we don't do more to say how much we appreciate faithful people. But we've got to always remember this. We don't do it. None of us do it for a pat on the back or words of appreciation. They're good to get, but that's not why we do it. We do it for the pleasure of our king. We, we are his faithful servants. And for those of us who are faithfully serving him, nobody may give us a party, but our reward is yet to come. We know that to be true. This, he struggled because nobody noticed him. Nobody appreciated him. How come this didn't happen to me? By the way, the same thing can happen to any of us. Amen? Another thing I want to notice, I only have about 16 more. Another thing I want to notice is I believe this older son exhibits indication of pridefulness. Look in verse 29 when he says, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Notice this next statement. Neither transgress I at any time thy commandment. I never once disappointed you or disobeyed you in any way. I've never, you know, the truth is none of us can make that claim. None of us can make that claim that we've never let anyone down, we've never disappointed anyone, we've never, we've never dropped the ball. Matter of fact, if you, every one of us have let our Heavenly Father down. Every one of us have let one another down in some form or fashion. None of us can say, 
I never transgressed at any time thy commandment. And yet, sometimes, because we are in the Father's house, because we are faithfully serving, because we are in our place all the time, it's easy for us sometimes to to focus more on the failure of others. And God warns us about this. You know, you that think you stand, take heed, let you fall. You know what we are? We are what we are by the grace of God. Amen? He was... Now, I'm not trying to, I'm really, I feel like I'm psychoanalyzing the older son. But I'm just telling you what I see in the Bible. I think both of these sons had issues. I think the first son had an issue, the younger son, because he went out in the world. But I think the older son had issues, not because he went out in the world, but because the way he was responding and where he was, this disconnect with his father. Another thing, and this is the last thing I want to point out. And it kind of goes with the last one, but I think the older brother was categorizing sin. When I say that, I mean looking at certain sins as being unforgivable and other sins as being unimportant. The older son thought his younger brother's sins were wicked. He mentions that in verse 30 where he says, Your son hath devoured thy living with harlots. And he had. He, he, knew, the older, he knew the younger son's Sins were despicable. They were wicked. But what about the older brother's sins? I don't know if you ever even thought about this reading this text, but if you look at his sins, he has some issues, right? The younger brother needed help, but the older brother needed help as well. What about his pride? Isn't that an issue? What about his anger? Isn't that an issue? What about his lack of compassion? What about his bitterness? Here's a man who's in the Father's house, busy working, going out every day, doing his job, and yet he has all these other things going on in his life. He he had these obvious issues, but they didn't concern him. It's very possible. For a person who doesn't go out in the world, who stays in the Father's house, still to have these issues and, and have this attitude that the younger brother's sins are horrific, But my sins are really acceptable. They're not that big a deal. And I understand tonight that some sin is more devastating than others. But I also know this. It's dangerous when you and I start looking at other people's sins like they're a very serious thing and look at our own sins like they're not really that important. That's what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7. When he says, judge not that you be not judged. And then he says, if you're going to help your brother pull, if you're going to help pull that speck out of your brother's eye, you know what that is? That's looking at a tiny little thing, a moat. It's a a speck in your brother's. Like me seeing a little speck in Ross's eye sitting back there. By the way, I do see it, brother. It's like me trying to point out a speck, a little inconsistency in his life, and I've got a beam in my own eye, a two-by-four. And you know what? It's true sometimes. We can be that way. We've got this thing that we, it just really drives us up the wall that somebody else does. Why do they do that? How come they get away with that? What's wrong with those people? And yet we've got this thing in our eye. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, first, 
remove the beam out of your own eye that you may see clearly to move the speck, the mote that's in your brother's eye. And that's exactly what this older brother was like. He was angry, he was upset, he was bitter, he was offended. And yet all he could see was the wickedness of his younger brother. And yes, he was wicked. But what about him? What about his own life? He, he, I call it categorizing sin. And I, I want to finish by going back to the, in our mind to the beginning of this, this teaching. This entire passage, 32 verses, has to do with one subject. And the one subject is this. The Pharisees were murmuring because Jesus was eating with sinners. What's wrong with that man? They wouldn't eat with sinners. They wouldn't fellowship with sinners. And yet their lives were full of hypocrisy and deceit and bitterness. And, and, yet Je and so Jesus gives them all these stories about how God rejoices. Not just because a coin is found and not just because a son is found, but because... Uh, and not just because the sh sheep is found, but the most important thing is because this lost son had been found. There's a lot to digest in this chapter. First of all, there is the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and scribes. That's what it started out with this morning. Second is the loss of a sheep, a coin, and a son. The thing we really emphasize this morning, for those of you who are with us, we see such a perfect picture and model of true repentance on the part of the younger son who came back with humility and brokenness, saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of thy servants. And we see the forgiveness of the father who immediately, not after a trial period, but immediately put the best robe on him and a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And all three of these things, if you could call them all things, one was a son, the other was a coin, the other was a sheep, but all of them were returned with great jubilation. And so there's a lot of good stuff in this, but there's also some other not-so-pretty things. And it's not pretty what happened to the younger son. And it's not pretty what was going on in the life of the older son either. I hope you can see that. Does that mean the older son should go out in the world? No. I think one, in one, the first son is a picture of someone who's either lost or someone's gone out into the world and made a wreck of their life and come back and how they can be forgiven and restored. But the other one is about people that are inside the father's house who don't even recognize how much they need a work of grace in their own life to be forgiving, to be understanding, to be compassionate. It's a picture of carnality. To me, it's a picture of carnality in the older son. It would be a wonderful thing if nobody in this room, nobody in this room ever went out into the far country. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? For your children, for our friends, for our family members. It would be a wonderful thing if 
if people are already in their heart, maybe they're headed to the far country, but they're still in the Father's house, if they'd come to their senses before they ever go out there, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? But it'd also be a wonderful thing if those of us who are here would make sure that we're keeping our heart in the right place, that we're caring and loving and forgiving and patient and understanding and have empathy while we're in the Father's house. Amen? Let's bow our heads together. Everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We covered a lot of territory this morning and tonight. And I just really want us to think about what we've heard from the scripture. I don't want to go into the far country. I don't want to make such foolish decisions. But I don't want to sit in the Father's house and be a Pharisee either. That doesn't mean we overlook sin, but we're, we're in the, our heart's in the wrong place if we have a prideful attitude about our faithfulness and a critical attitude toward those who've fallen or struggled. There are young people in this room tonight that maybe have already been thinking about this. You know, when I get old enough, when mom and dad can't make me, I'm out of here. You say, preacher, that's too direct. Oh, I, I think that's the way people think sometimes. You don't, you don't have to wait until you're in a pig pen eating slop to get right. You could get it right tonight. Our Father, we pray tonight that we'd be open to see ourselves as you show us in the Word of God. We, we pray for that. Father, it was such an emotional passage for me. Having made some of these foolish decisions. But it also reveals how our hearts can be so full of self and pride, even in the Father's house. God, would you work in our hearts tonight? I pray tonight, Father, if there are those here tonight that in a very special way you've spoken to their heart about their decisions, their plans, their priorities, that, Lord, tonight meaningful decisions could be made. 